Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. Give you the endless word. How much you deserve Though I'm weak and poor All I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have Search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you All about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. search for all eternity long and find there is none like you there is none like you no one else can touch my heart like you do I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you.
Let your power fall, let your voice be heard. Come and change our hearts as we stand on your word. Good evening. We welcome you to our Bible class tonight here at the Hartsville Church of Christ. And to those of you who are online with us, we appreciate so much you coming and being a part of uh, our class online. As always... There are outlines at the back. Also, you have our newsletter for this week that uh, we're going to go through in, in just a second. As you take your newsletter and we look on the inside, as far as I know, the uh, sick list there is, is the same. We do need to add two uh, to that list. Uh, Mia, Maya Atkins uh, Borden is having a very difficult pregnancy and needs our prayers. So let's keep that in mind. And that was from Hesta. Also, Donna Hughes will be having uh, surgery on February the 2nd. And she's going to be out of commission for a few weeks as she deals with some issues with her legs or feet and so uh, we want to keep uh, Donna in our prayer as well. That's the only additions that we need to make about the sick that I know of and uh, everything else is correct. As you look in the center, uh, remember that Super Sunday is at 10 o'clock this Sunday and then we'll come back at 4 o'clock to eat fish and then um, have a devotion afterwards and uh, invite folks to come. I was, uh, you know, 
I told several of you this. Somebody said, asked me, said, well, why didn't you have like a regular thing like punch and cake and all that stuff and a centerpiece? And uh, I said, you, I tell you, I'm smarter than I look, folks. Uh, I said, look, I said, if you had punch and a cake or something, there'll be a few people would come. But you have a fish fry and everybody will come. So, you know, you got to think about that kind of stuff, you know. So we're looking forward to that. Nursery workers, uh, please sign up. There's the annual dinner. See Tim Tanksley for HCU, uh, Child Haven Supplies. That's new on the docket. Read that, Children's Bible Hour. Always need help with that. Secret Sisters, there's the information. And then on Sunday evening, evenings, beginning in February, and for the month of February, all the adult classes will be going to the fellowship area for table discussions. And we'll be looking at certain passages and talking about uh, unity and, and things like that. So keep that in mind on Sunday evenings in the month of February. All adult classes will be uh, in the table discussions in the fellowship area. Uh, let's see. I think that's about all that I want to call to your attention. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, uh, we, just, we just thank you tonight for our lives and for the things as they are in our life, for the blessings. And we realize, Father, that there are those who are not as well as we are and we, we pray for them tonight. We pray for Mia, and we just pray, dear Father, that uh, the pregnancy will go well and she'll be able to go to full term. We pray for Brother Johnson. We love Brother Bobby, and we know that this is a difficult time. We pray for Wayne Ed and for Jennifer as well, and all the families they look over him and take care of him. We're thankful for Danny that he's home and that things have gone so well from this surgery. And we pray that. There'll be continual healing, and he'll be back with us. We're thankful that Tim is improving. We're thankful that the pain is lessening, and we just pray that you'll bless him. And for Rita Bedingfield, and we just pray for her, dear Father. We just pray that she'll uh, be able to respond to the chemo and that there will be healing. We also continue to pray for Sabrina Hughes, who's going through her treatments right now and can't be with us. And we just pray you, you take care of her and we pray for healing. We pray for Donna's surgery. We pray that it will be successful and that things will go well there. Father, we just really appreciate this time tonight in the Word and we thank you so much for these great prophets. Oh, we love them so much. We thank you for what we can learn tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. All righty, your Bibles should be open to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4, as we continue tonight in our little uh, journey in the story of Elisha. Now, for the, ne after the next two Wednesday nights, Brother Harry will be teaching. I'll be away one of those Wednesday nights, and then Brother Harry is going to give me a break uh, one Wednesday night a month. 
And uh, we're going to continue with Elisha. I told him, I said, I know I said nine or ten lessons, but y'all know how I am. I said, man, I started looking at all these miracles of Elisha, and I said, man, we, I could go through May. And he said, good, we'll just, we'll just do that. And so we're going to continue on with Elisha because there's just so much there. Let me tell you, folks, we're looking at some rich, rich stuff as we study Elisha. And here's why I say that. It is because a lot of these texts we've studied, we've studied over, all these books that we've studied, we've studied over and over again, and we know they're familiar story, it's familiar text. But when you come to these texts here in 2 Kings 4, yes, we may have read them and read over them, but as far as just coming and, and dissecting them and studying them and, and watching the, these prophets uh, do what they did back in that day and time, uh, this is all like new territory to us. And I told you a few weeks ago, I, I've never taught, and I've preached a, a, a few sermons, maybe just here and there on Elisha, but uh, I haven't really taught a class on Elisha, and I don't think we really sit through many classes on the book of Elisha. So this is rich, rich territory. Now, we have titled this, Elisha, the Miracle Prophet. And I think you begin already in just the, the first uh, three lessons that we've had why we call him the Miracle Prophet. And you will know as we continue on uh, with this. We have already seen what probably are the first three miracles that um, were performed by Elisha after Elijah had been caught up into heaven. Uh, our first in chapter 2 of 2 Kings, we looked at two of the miracles there at Jericho and there at Bethel. Remember at Jericho, there was the water uh, that needed to be cleared up. And then at Bethel, there were the young folks that were running out and, and uh, saying things and the bears come out and, and uh, maul them. And then last week, we looked at 2 Kings <coughs> chapter 3. And we saw the miracle that was performed as the king of Israel was ticked off at the Moabites because they said, we're not going to pay you any tribute or taxes or something like that anymore. So he gets the king, remember, of Judah, and he comes down and gets the king of Edom, and they began to attack the Moabites, except though there was no water. Everything was dried up, and we saw that great miracle that Elisha was involved in in bringing water onto uh, the Moabites. Now, up to this point, these first three miracles are public miracles. Tonight, as we look at the first seven verses of 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, we're going to see the first private miracle that Elijah uh, will do. And, and this is going to be in, in the home, as we'll see, of a widow mother. It's a very, uh, very important lesson, I think. And I looked at this text this week and I thought, man, why hadn't I preached on this text? Because there's so much that you could say. There are two or three different kinds of lessons, ways you could approach uh, this story tonight and this particular miracle that, that he does. And we're going to talk about, as you see tonight, or you saw a while ago, family. And you see on your outline, family matters. And we know the old statement. You know, as goes the family, goes the nation, and as goes the nation, goes 
the world. And what we see tonight in our story is that Elisha is sort of walking in the steps of Elijah. In that, you remember uh, when he was in the wilderness of Zarephath? You remember the widow at Zarephath? And how that he raised uh, the widow's son? And that was a personal a miracle in the home? Well, this is something similar to that. Uh, the boy doesn't die, but there's a similar situation to this tonight as we get into the text. So, as you look at your outline tonight, by the way, this whole, this, uh, whole thing is centered usually when you talk about Elisha and Elijah as you know this these three schools of prophets in these three particular areas in Gilgal Jericho and in Bethel now as you begin your outline the first thing I want us to see is just look at the text a family without hope back then and this is uh, as I said an interesting story first of all we see the heartbreak that takes place here in, in verse 1. Now, Elisha is back in Israel now. Remember, he was with the, the three kings as they went down to uh, take on the, the Moabites and to deal with that situation. But now he's back in Israel. He is back in Israel probably at one of these places, Bethel, Jericho, or Gilgal, where these uh, schools of prophets. It seems that, yes, he has a place in Samaria, but he also likes to stay around these schools of prophets. Now let's look at the text and see what it says. Here's the first part of verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Now, what, what do we learn here? We just, this little statement here, what can we observe about uh, the sons of the prophets? They were married. They weren't celibate. Very good point. Uh, what other thing can you gather here? Probably they were older students because they are married. I remember my days at um, IBC, the Inn Heritage now, and when I started there, I was uh, almost 19, I was 18, and I was the youngest guy in that place. And when I think of uh, these schools of prophets that we've been reading about and studying about, I think of, so often, I think of heritage, because that to me was what a good comparison today of what those schools of prophecies were. And I remember that most, I would say, 98% of the students there were several years older than me. They were married, and uh, they had children. And I felt, I can remember, I felt so out of place there being the youngest guy there and wondering, you know, uh, what's going on here? Well, it seems like maybe that's uh, the way it is many times in preacher schools and in, in, in prophet schools is, as well. So I think we gain from this statement that they were probably a little older than just young. And they were, as Philip pointed out, they were not celibate, they were married. Now let's look at the second part of this verse. Here's this widow. Her husband was one of the prophets, sons of the prophets, and has died. 
saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Now this is a tragic tale. It really is. And in my mind's eye, I can see the the tear-streaked face of, of this widow who has lost her husband and now about to lose her children. And maybe in your mind's eye, you can hear her trembling voice. Notice the word there. It says, your servant, my husband. Uh, Apparently, not only was he a young prophet in training, but there was a a servant uh, attitude or a service that he rendered uh, to Elisha, the prophet, when you looked at that. Notice also it says that he feared the Lord. What was interesting as I was reading about this, there's some of the scholars that think that this, this was Obadiah that had died. That it was Obadiah. And, and they give some interesting uh, reasons why. I don't know. We have no idea. But in reading Josephus, Josephus says that this was, this was Obadiah. And uh, there were several things that were, were mentioned about Obadiah being a very poor, very poor prophet, and that he would go out and borrow money so that he could give money to the, the students in this school of prophecy because they had none. And we'll see uh, in, later on in this chapter, not tonight, but later on in this chapter, we'll see that the students there, uh, they were just barely getting by. And so they, they were, Josephus makes this argument that it was Obadiah. Well, we don't know for sure, but I do know this. This was a tragedy that had happened to a very good family, and it was a tragedy that had happened to a very good man. We all know, all of us in here, we have lived a little, and we know that bad things happen to good people. That's just the way it is in life, even real good godly people. But as you look at this, let's just think for a moment. I mean, I want you to understand the situation that's going on here. Let's just break this down for a moment and see what a tragedy this is. First thing that we point out to you about this is that her husband had died. Now, that in and of itself is a tragedy, isn't it? I mean, uh, there are some of you tonight, and, and you know more about this than I do. And you know the loneliness. And you know the heartache that comes from losing a mate. Uh, I've been blessed that I haven't. But only you can know really, truly, the loneliness that's involved when you lose a mate. Her husband has died. But also, she's left with two young sons. Uh, In that day and time, now, that would be bad even in our society today. Here you are, a widow, and you have two young sons. In that day and time, there was only one thing worse than being a widow. And that was being a widow with children that you had to take care of. I mean, that was a a, a bad, bad uh, situation there. Uh, Some of you here tonight, maybe you are, you have experienced being a single parent. And um, I, I can only, 
I can only imagine what it's like to be a single parent and to have small children and to have to work and to have to take care of them. That's a tough, tough road. It is a difficult road. Well, as bad as it would be today, let me tell you, it was 100 times worse in her day and time because the way the people looked at this woman. Notice something else here. She's left deeply in debt. Now, it's difficult enough to deal with heartache and loss and taking care of children, but then at the same time, you are deeply in debt. And you have, as far as we understand here, and because of the, um, the customs of that day, she had no source of income. So she is deeply in debt. And, and we look at this, and we can ponder all day long about this guy. We can say, well, is it this guy's fault? I mean, this, this prophet is his fault? You know, maybe it was because of some bad decisions he made? Was it because, maybe it was Obadiah, he was some other prophet, and he was overly generous? That's what Josephus said about uh, Obadiah, and that he took what he had and he gave it to the other fellows that were in the school of preaching there and in the school of prophet? I don't know. Maybe that was the case. I don't know if it was his fault or not. Maybe it wasn't his fault, okay? Maybe because, as we, will, we pointed out a while ago, that as a, being a, now I know this as a preacher student back at IBC years ago, your income is meager. Have you got any income at all? I mean, you wonder, maybe it was just a, he was a good person and these bad things came. And they were bad indeed. But folks, it got even worse here in this story. And, and, to, and of all these things, as bad as they are, this is the greatest tragedy of all. The creditors wanted to take her sons. They wanted to take her sons. Now, any of you parents that are here tonight, you, you know, uh, wait a minute, that, that's not going to happen. There's going to be a fight on with that. We give, when we want to borrow money, we give up, we put up collateral. We understand that. You know, we put up land, or we put up a house, or we put up something to say, if I don't pay it back, you take it out of that or whatever. In that day and time, uh, there was something else that you could put up for collateral, and that's your work value. You could say, if I don't pay you back, you've got me. I'll become your servant, and I will work for you. Now, you see this even in the uh, New Testament. You know the story about forgiveness. But as he was not able to pay, you know, Peter would ask, how often should I forgive somebody? And Jesus tells the story. But as often as he was not able to pay, his master commanded he be sold with his wife and children, all they had, and that payment be made. This was something that not only took place in the Old Testament, it was something that also took place in the New Testament. Now, What's interesting is that God did protect people to some degree. If you couldn't pay a debt and you sold yourself to a person, God took care of you because God put a limitation on that. And there are several verses we could read, but here's one, Exodus 21, verses 1 and 2. Now these are the judgments which you have set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. Then the seventh year he shall go out free and pay nothing. So God did take care of that. Uh, 
to some degree. But you could do that. And so here's a woman, she has these children, and the creditors are about to take the boys because they can work, and this is how the debt's going to be paid. Now, we're not told who the creditor is. And once again, you can start reading these commentators, and, and some of them will tell you it was Jehoram, the king of, of Israel, and, and other people as well. But here's the situation. This woman, this woman here, her sons were her life, and they were her hope for the future. If there was just some way those boys could get older, and then they could start working, and maybe the debt could be paid, but that was about to be taken away from them. Tragic, tragic, tragic. Now, let's go to the next thing on the outline. Let's look at the help that came her way in verses 2 through verse 4. We began with the first part of verse 2. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Elisha, it seems like in all these miracles, he never asked twice, okay? He saw an issue, a problem, and he says, you know, with Elisha, it wasn't, well, call me if I can help you. With Elisha, he says, what can I do for you? Now, I'm, I, and, and we'll see in the next statement, Elisha takes charge. I want you to notice this. I don't think I was, in my life, of all these years of preaching, that I've ever preached on um, widows and orphans. And I should have. If I have, I've forgotten it. And I forget a lot these days, but... Uh, I start just looking at the emphasis the Bible places on widows and orphans. And man, it blew my mind. It blew my mind, the emphasis that God placed upon taking care of widows and orphans. And maybe this is, it probably is, it's behind Elisha's thinking here. Here is a widow. I just want to show you a few. There are a whole lot of others we could go to. But let's just scan through these passages here for a moment. His administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the stranger. The stranger's in there too. Psalms 146.9, the Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. James 1.27, you know that one. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the fathers to visit the orphans and the widows. Look in Psalm 68.5, speaking of God, he's a father of the fatherless He's a defender of widows. I mean, you keep going. Deuteronomy speaks a lot about this. Exodus 22, 22 through 24. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy 24, 17. You shall not pervert justice due the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge. Go on down to verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. That'd be a good sermon. Stranger, fatherless, and widow. Deuteronomy 26, 12. When you have finished lying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates... And be filled. Now I could just go on and on about this. No doubt, this is in Elisha's thinking but why he takes action because of this widow and these fatherless children. Now let's read on in our text. Elisha takes 
matters in his own hand. He says, tell me what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, in uh, looking at that, it's interesting in that the word for jar there is specifically referring to a very small jar. So it's not a big jar. And most people agree that the oil there would be that of olive oil. And what God is going to do, and what Elisha is going to do, he intends to use what she had to take care of her problem. You know, we, we all know the saying, God helps those who what? Help themselves. Now, you remember that little thought. We'll come back to that as we uh, wrap up our lesson here in a few minutes. Now, let's read on. He says, okay, all I've got. She says, all I've got is just a little jar of oil. Verse 3. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Now, when you look at that, you see that the word vessels there is a generic. So he didn't specify a big vessel or a, a little vessel, a fat one or a slim one. This was just in there. He said, you just go out and get any vessel. You just go get any vessel. The only requirement is of these vessels is that they're empty. They have nothing in them. That's all I want. Now notice the last part of verse 3. He said, go and borrow the vessels, empty vessels. And get this, do not gather just a few. Now, to me, that's a significant statement. That's the key statement of this whole story here when he says, you go out and you get all these vessels and don't get a few. You get all you can get. You just go and you get all you can get. I mean, you look at that, and on the surface, it looks like that's a strange instruction. You know, you're saying, okay, uh, that doesn't really make sense, maybe. Why won't you go? Why in the world should you go and get all you can get? How would you answer that question? Why do you, what do you think? He says to her, you go and you get all you can get of these vessels. He's testing her faith. You're absolutely right. And, 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 and Daryl is making, and I pointed out to you, if you remember, I pointed out to you every lesson thus far tonight, about what you learn from these miracles is, remember, if you respect God and His Word and His prophets, God will bless you. And if you don't respect His Word and His prophets, He won't. Well, we see this in almost every one of these miracles. God's testing, like Daryl said. He wants to see what she's going to do. And, and, and He'll bless if you'll respect His Word and His prophets. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I thought about this and I said, you know, this woman could protest. She goes, wait a minute, Elisha. Uh, this, doesn't, this is not. My neighbors, my neighbors are going to think I'm crazy. I go out all over town and I'm trying to get these pots. And I don't want anything. I just want to give me a pot, give me a pot, give me a pot. You know, what am I going to tell them when they say, why do you want these pots? I mean, she could have she said, look, look, man, I'm about to lose my sons. And here you all want me to go out and get pots? But it goes back to what Daryl said. She's going to pass the test. Let's read on. 
And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels, that is, the olive oil, and set aside the fullness. Now remember, it's a small jar of olive oil. And notice also in this particular miracle that Elijah, Elisha wanted it to be private and to be personal. What happens? Well, I bring this to the next H, and there it is in verses 5 through verse 7. We see some happiness. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. In my mind's eye, I can see the house filled with all, all these different, you know, little pots, big pots, mid-sized pots, old pots, new pots, fancy pots, plain pots. I can just see the house is filled with all these pots. And she's taking this little old bitty oil, and she's pouring it in. And when one pot would fill up, they put it over here, and then they just kept filling up pots. Verse 6. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. I think it's here that she grasped the significance of this phrase that we looked at a few earlier. When he says, you go. And you get all the pots you can. Don't get just a few. All of this, I think it's here that she begins to realize that the amount of oil was only limited by the number of pots that she would bring. And that's a lesson of itself for us. Verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go. Sell the oil and pay your debt. And you your, and your sons live on the rest. Wow. Powerful, powerful story in just in seven verses. And of course, we could even talk about how important it is to pay your debts. And we know that. Or at least we should know that. What I want to do now, we've got about eight minutes maybe or something like that. Maybe ten minutes. No, we've got 13 minutes. Okay, good. Always think about this. Like I said, you can approach this story from many angles. Uh, I'll give you another different angle as we finish up in a few minutes. But let's just think about families without hope today and, and, and talk about that for a few moments. And I want us to take those three, same three H's that we used and, and apply them to, to families today. And I, and I want us to think for a moment as we think about families today and our families in America are hurting as we think about the heartbreak Today, we, like in this story, we see a lot of families with, um, without hope. And the thing is that many of these families are godly families. They love the Lord. But bad things have happened. I mean, just like it happened to this woman's family, it's happened to so many people who really love the Lord and try to do right. And it could be anything. It could be death. It could be debt. It could be disease, it could be desertion, it could be divorce. I mean, you could just go on down the line with all those D's. And uh, there, are, there are so many that are hurting today. 
And what it stands out to me in this story, one of many things, is that this woman didn't blame the Lord for what had happened to her. She turned to the Lord. Now I want you to notice help. We, we, we've, got, we've got a situation today where our families are hurting, and some, and some of our families are hurting here. And, and you're trying to live and do right. And it's just, what do you do? If you're like this widow here, what kind of help is there? Uh, let's just take this story for a moment. Let me just share with you some things. What do you, what do, you do when it seems like your family is in a hopeless situation today? I think you do what this widow did. Notice that she acknowledged the problem. She understood what was happening. And she understood she was about to, to lose her son. Sometimes it's embarrassing to just get the problem out and, and to acknowledge the problem, but she did. She had a problem, and she acknowledged it. I love this passage here. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I'll feel it. Isn't that great? Uh, that'd be a sermon too someday. Open your mouth wide, and I will feel it. The woman, she acknowledged her problem. Would you notice the next thing? You check your resources. You check your resources. Uh, God helps those who help themselves. And the question that we need to be asking in, in, in our problems, whether it be family problems or any problems that we have, and that is, have we done everything we can do? Okay? A lot of times we want somebody else to fix the problem. A lot of times we want just the Lord. We turn to the Lord and we haven't done anything. And the Lord expected something from this woman, didn't she? I mean, she had something and she had a role uh, uh, to play in this situation. Uh, we know this passage. Well, notice there verse 2. Let me back up here. Uh, verse 2. So Elisha says, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. She checked her resources. And she said, well, I got this jar of oil, but she checked them. Notice this passage. For each one of you shall bear his own burden. I don't think a lot of times we want to do that. Now, we certainly want God to help us. We want others to help us. But sometimes we want everybody else, and we want God, and we don't want to do our part. This woman, she was willing to do her part. I, I read this and studying this. I like this. Sometimes the best place to find a helping hand is on the end of your arm. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Sometimes the best place to find a helping hand is on the end of your arm. W.T. Hamilton said this. I like this. He said, if one uses what he has, and you may disagree with this, but I like what he says. If one uses what he has and goes as far as he can go, God takes over then. He has never promised to take over until then. Hmm. One must plan to walk by faith beyond the point where he can see his way clear and then go until his resources are exhausted. At that time, God will take over and not until then. Here's another thing. Turn to wise friends. 
That's what she did to Elisha, didn't she? She, uh, she, she turned to Elijah, and she says, you know, I, I need some help here. Many times when you're in a problem, it's hard to see the solution to the problem, the problem until you get somebody on the outside that can say, here's what needs to be done. Here's the next one thing. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And she did. Remember verse 3 there? Do not gather just a few. The Lord said through Elisha, you go and you get all these different kinds of pots and you bring them back. Get a lot of them. You know, the woman was imposed. The woman was imposed by the limitations of what she could do. Uh, she was imposed by the, the limitation of her blessings. Maybe that's the best way to put it. Maybe her blessings, let me put it this way, her blessings were limited to what she would do. That's the way to put it. If she had a house running over with pots and them all out in the yard, she would have been blessed even more. Boy, that's a great lesson. That's a great lesson. God's a generous God. Now, I'm going to turn this over to you in just a minute, but uh, look at the happiness that can come. You know, God, like in this story, will help us to deal with whatever issues and problems we may have. God will do one or two things and deal with problems. And remember this. He will either, after we've done what we can, he will either remove them or he will, number two, give us the strength to endure. You got that? He will either remove them or he will give us the strength to endure them. Someone might say, well, we no longer live the age of miracles today and uh, God can't, he doesn't do miracles like that. Well, the God who created this universe and this world created the natural laws and the God who created these natural laws can work through these natural laws with his providence. We'll uh, look at this very quickly. Matthew Henry said, we cannot now expect miracles, yet we may expect mercies. The Lord doesn't, Warren Wiersbe, the Lord doesn't perform miracles to help us pay our debts, but he does meet our needs if we trust and obey if we give everything to him, he can make a little go a long way. Now, like Crumbmacher, is his help really the less marvelous because it is sent to us by ordinary means? No. It's a miracle in and of itself. Let me show you this right quick. I told you you could take this story, it's such a powerful story, and you could um, make several different kind of sermons of it. Here's the thing that, that came to my mind. There's an in, interesting parallel between this widow and, and a person becoming a Christian or a person who's lost. Can you think of any parallels? Look at this. So, Go ahead. Yes. Say that again. It just it took, wants you to be baptized and believe. 
Right. And it, it's sort of similar, you know, go borrow some pots. Right. Yeah. It's not that hard, is it? It's not that hard. It isn't. Our problem is that we don't take the effort or make the effort to be obedient. Remember, you respect God, His Word, and His prophets. You'll be blessed. So it didn't take a lot. This is a good sermon I hear. This widow owed a debt she couldn't pay. Does that like, sound like somebody you know? Yeah. She where she could pay the debt. Neither can we when we're outside of Christ. We can't, we can't, we have to rely upon the mercy of Almighty God. Also, the widow's sons threatened with slavery. Really think about how slavery is involved in a person's lost life. We're enslaved, aren't we? We're enslaved. We're threatened with slavery. The Lord expected her to do what she could. And in that way, in salvation today, as Jim pointed out about uh, being baptized and doing what the Lord says. The Lord expected her to do what she could. Today, in becoming a Christian, the Lord expects us to do what we can do. And then when we do what we can do, God takes over. And he provides the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace. And then look at this. The Lord filled her empty jars. And what does he do with an empty life? He fills an empty life, doesn't he? And here's the thing. The more jars we go out, and the more we respect God and the more we respect his word, the more blessings they come our way. Wow. Now, you got two or three minutes here before we're through. Let's hear from you about this story and uh, anything you'd like to say about it. One of the helpsmen said was turn to wise friends. That just shows we need to choose our friends carefully. Yes. A very good point, Harry. Harry points out that oh, we were talking about how in our families when we have heartache and we have difficulties and we're talking about having help and one of the points was choose wise, friend, uh, wise friends it's important that we choose the right friends and that's what happens to so many folks uh, they don't choose the right folks to go to any other thoughts or comments about this story have you ever remembered this story before isn't it a great story yes Philip Oh, that's, that's a good point. I didn't think of all that, Philip. Philip was talking about, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier about the widow of Zarephath and when Elijah was there and the little amount that she had. In this story, there was a little amount and, and, and the parallel that's there. I hadn't thought about that. That's good. Anything else? That's a powerful point, Harry. Wish I'd have thought of that. Harry said, uh, one of the things we can learn from this is we may not have a lot to give, but if we give what we have, God can take it and pay off a great debt. Pay off a great debt. That's great. 
All right. Well, our time is up. In um, two weeks, two or three weeks, Taylor's going to do the next two Wednesday nights. We'll be back, and we'll continue with 2 Kings chapter 4, and we'll just continue on with Elisha through May, and May on Wednesday nights we'll be going back, or in um, June on Wednesday nights we'll be going back to our table discussions in the fellowship area. So we'll, uh, we'll continue to look at these miracles of Elisha and uh, read on, read on. I guess maybe some of you Bible reading to, to read 2 Kings. Just keeping in mind now that as we talked about last week, some of these things are not in chronological order. All righty, let's uh, leave out of here with prayer tonight. And uh, let's see, Brother B.C., I think I asked you the other night, but you did such a great job. Would you lead us in prayer again? Amen. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you. There is none like